I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now on Air, COVID-19 edition. This is the week of November 16th, 2020. As we head into the holiday season, I'm often reminded of traditions I have with family and friends. Sometimes that reminder comes from a song, the smell of a certain dish, maybe a favorite Christmas ornament. Yep, already decorated for Christmas. I'm one of those people. And since next week is Thanksgiving, I've been thinking a lot about some of the things that we do every year. For instance, my brother deep fries a turkey every year and I am out there monitoring him because I have watched one too many YouTube videos where deep frying turkeys goes terribly wrong. Don't Google that. My aunts and uncles come in, some from across the street and some all the way from Minnesota. And my mom works so hard and truly makes the best food. But she does always make us wait to eat until, I don't know, like 4 or 5 p.m. And I am truly a hangry monster at that point in the day because I'm not going to spoil my appetite on anything that isn't made right out of my mom's kitchen because it's Thanksgiving, guys. But overall, it's always a really special day for our family. Something else we do each year right before we eat is stand in a circle and we all go around and everyone says what they're thankful for. And I'm sure we're not the only people who do this, but it's really nice. I love hearing what everyone has to say. And I especially love what the kids have to say because they will say whatever is on their mind. Last year, my nephew Nick was thankful for mashed potatoes. I mean, as he should be, mashed potatoes are awesome. And my sweet niece Ella was thankful for her Aunt Mary. And if she was trying to butter me up with that, it worked. This year, I won't get to see everyone that I usually see. And we aren't going to get to do all of our normal Thanksgiving Day traditions. And even if we don't get to make our circle and say what we're thankful for, I still have a lot of gratitude in my heart. This year, there's something new on my list of things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for our healthcare heroes. While we're all safe in our homes this Thanksgiving, even if your celebration looks a little different than most years, remember that doctors, nurses, environmental crews, food service staff, security guards, and even the people that check patients into the hospitals, they'll be sacrificing for us. It's easy to take for granted the thought that if you have to go to the hospital, you'll have a clean room, food and water, and healthcare professionals to properly care for you. Guys, everyone who works in the hospitals, even the people you don't see, they've been working nonstop this year. They're sacrificing so much to keep us all safe and as healthy as possible. And for that, I'm truly thankful. Joining us again today is the infectious disease physician and the medical director of infection control for Miami Valley Hospital, Dr. Steve Burdett. Hey there, Dr. Burdett. How are you? I'm tired. It has been a long seven plus months. Um, My wife is tired of me working weekends. Uh, I think I have worked about 80 to 90 percent of the weekends since uh, um, since May. Um, I'm tired of COVID. COVID can go away any day now and I would be happy. Unfortunately, that is not going to happen. You know, the other day I received 278 text messages and that wasn't even my record. My record early on in this was like 560 within a workday. 
And so that is one of the biggest challenges of COVID is, yes, there's a lot of patients, but there's even more communication. And so trying to take care of patients and go to meetings while you're replying to text after text after text is one of the challenges that is probably underappreciated when the volume is like this. Pfizer said its COVID-19 vaccine was over 90% effective in late-stage clinical trials. The news exceeded the expectations of health officials. Can you talk to us about what that means and next steps for trials and vaccines? Yeah, so the Pfizer vaccine will be the first vaccine of any type that we have used clinically that actually looks at the genetic part of the virus and takes part of what's called the messenger RNA, and they created the vaccine with that to hopefully stimulate the immune system. And the literature, again, they had two arms. They had an arm that got placebo, so they just got an injection of probably just salt water, and then half of the group got the actual vaccine. And this vaccine has been, the trial is set up all across the United States the United States, as well as around the world. I mean, African countries, Middle Eastern countries, European countries have been enrolled in this study. And the early data that was just released, and it hasn't been fully analyzed, but the early data suggests 90% effectiveness, which in the vaccine world is amazing. You know, the, the new shingles vaccine, which many people have probably received or heard of, was awesome, and it was 80% effective. Um, the flu shot, which gets a lot of discussion every year, is between 20 and 50 percent effective. And so to come in at 90 is awesome. Now, is it going to stay at 90? Probably not. OK, you know, you can't control when somebody gets the vaccine. You can't control the type of exposure that they have. Uh, you don't vaccinate them and then put them into a room with all these COVID people and see if they get it. They get the vaccine and then they go about their life. So while 90 is great and I'm very optimistic by it, I do not expect that number to hold when you get into a real world situation. Again, you take people that are elderly, people that are on medicines like steroids or cancer agents, you take people, some people's immune system just isn't very good. So not everybody is going to have an awesome response to this vaccine, but it is highly encouraging that in the preliminary studies, um, it's looking good. Safety-wise, the Pfizer vaccine looks to be very safe. Now, again, this is being given to thousands of people, not millions of people. You know, at, when the vaccines are finally available, you know, we would like to be able to vaccinate hundreds of millions of people in the United States and billions of people around the world. And so obviously when you get into those type of numbers, you could see some signals for side effects. But so far with the tens of thousands of people that have been enrolled in the study, I want to say it's like 44,000 people, uh, safety has not been, a, uh, not been an issue. Now what we don't know yet is how long will the vaccine hold, um, especially with the, um, the technology, this messenger RNA vaccine that Pfizer is using. This will, again, we can't look at the five other vaccines that have used that technology and we can't say that, oh, look, the vaccine worked for three years or six months, because this will be literally the first vaccine to use this technology. So, you know, they are monitoring antibodies. They will continue to monitor the patients that are enrolled in it. I think a lot of the patients are like two or three months 
And honestly, if we could get a two to three month window to get caught up in healthcare, that would be that would be amazing. And that could honestly help end the, you know, break the cycle of the pandemic. Um, but it's still too early to know if this is going to be a yearly vaccine. Any of them that come out, will it be yearly? Will it be one time? The Pfizer vaccine is two shots about three weeks apart. So will you get the two and then never need it again? Too early to tell. Dr. Burdett, anything else to note regarding the state of vaccines? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it's going to be Pfizer was the first to the to hit the news cycle this week. Um, there's going to be more and more coming out. Some of them are using technology that we have used for flu shots. There's one called the flu block, and they're coming out with basically the COVID block. Um, that is a format and a type of vaccine that we're very comfortable with. I've not seen the preliminary data behind that. Um, there, there's multiple, they're killing the virus and creating a vaccine that way. I mean, they're using all the possible modalities that we can to vaccinate folks. Um, so more and more are going to be coming out. Um, they are also, the companies that are creating the vaccine are also working on processes to be able to make large volumes. Because again, it's one thing to be able to vaccinate healthcare workers, but to really impact the country, we need to be able to vac offer the vaccine to everybody that is interested. Um, and so all these companies that are making strides are also trying to figure out how they can turn their vaccine into 300 million doses, um, 600 million doses, whatever it will take to uh, vaccinate um, people. To me, uh, the big thing is still going to be safety. You know, while Pfizer's study didn't show anything so far, this is a novel vaccine technology. So before we go vaccinating large numbers, um, I would really like to make sure that the safety data, you know, is there. Um, and that is, again, something that the FDA has said that they are going to watch closely and not rush these things because we have to make sure that if it's effective, but it causes significant side effects, that could defeat the, uh, obviously defeat the entire purpose of the vaccine. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Dr. Burdett is going to give us an update on the COVID-19 spike. We'll be right back. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now. But behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, we'll be here standing strong because it's who we are and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. Dr. Burdett, a new study has found that some survivors of COVID-19 carry worrying signs that their immune system has turned on the body. The study suggests that at some point, the body's defense system in these patients shifted into attacking itself rather than the virus. The patients are producing molecules called autoantibodies that target genetic material from human cells instead of from the virus. Is this common? And what can you share with us about this? Yeah. And so that is very common with a lot of infectious diseases. Um, we see a lot of a lot of them. The infection is one thing, but the body's response to the infection is the other thing. And when people have issues with sepsis, which is when your body's just out of control because of infection, a lot of times, again, it's not necessarily the, the infection itself that's doing it. It's the body's response to the infection. 
And that is why so far with COVID, while we do various modalities, the thing that seems to work the most is steroids in people who require oxygen. The reason is the steroids not only decrease the inflammation, but they calm down the immune system. They prevent people's body from basically attacking itself. Because again, with any infection, just like with COVID, the virus is in your lungs, but it's the body going to kill the virus. And when it kills the virus, it's also attacking the tissue there. Um, and that's what's causing a lot of the complications of it. So what, what's a challenge with this virus is some patients, again, most people get this thing and they breeze right on through. Okay, I have known dozens and dozens and dozens of people with COVID personally outside of work, and they have minimal to no symptoms and they do fine. I've also known a few people who have died of COVID. And I know some people who have chronic ongoing issues. And so you can't predict who's gonna have what type of response. But the people that have chronic ongoing issues, that it probably is your immune system continuing to attack the body. The challenge is, is how do you treat that? Because steroids don't seem to work all that well. And it's not like they take the symptoms away. Um, do you have to go to some other immunosuppressing medication? You know, when I was listening to our national meeting, usually we get together, but because of COVID, we had to do it all online. And there is this post-COVID syndrome that is definitely identified, can cause fatigue, weakness, um, difficulty breathing. It can do a lot of stuff. Um, but none of the treatment modalities that we have thrown at it seem to have done anything. So for people that are struggling with it, again, it's real. The other thing that we have noticed a lot with this is people get so frustrated by it that they become depressed. They feel like they get a lot of anxiety because they feel like it's their fault. It's something that they're doing wrong. Everybody else they know got over COVID and they're still stuck sleeping on the couch, you know. 18 hours a day, no doubt that, that is part of this virus and what people are studying and they just unfortunately haven't found anything yet is what is the way to fix that? Is there a medication? Is there time? Is there something that we have to do earlier on in the COVID disease um, to try to prevent that? But those chronic symptoms are real. Uh, they are frustrating. And unfortunately, we don't have any treatment for them right now. What else are you seeing regarding mental health in current COVID times? Yeah, you know, the mental health part is very much underappreciated. Um, and yes, it's the post-COVID, it's the, the ongoing symptoms that can affect people. But it's also the fact that we're still not really back to normal, you know, normal life. You know, people are not traveling. They're used to having a few weeks a year where they're on a beach somewhere, um, not worrying about work, you know, things like that. Um, and a lot of folks, you just, you can't do it. You won't do it. You're not able to do it because you're not working as much. You may not have the finances to do it. And so to me, that's why the whole thing with COVID is trying to find the right balance between what's right for public health versus what actually harms the public and that is, you know, too aggressively with shutdowns or limiting too many things. Again, do I go out to restaurants now? Yes. Do I pick restaurants that I know are spaced far apart? 
Do I avoid bars? Yes. I don't go to those places. If I eat out, if I can eat outside, now amazingly in November, we've had a day or two, we could actually eat outside. That's not normal for Ohio. But, you know, picking those type of situations to where you can have some normalcy, but yet still protect yourself. And I think the big thing that I push through all of this is masking sucks. I understand. Okay, I hate wearing my mask. I'm in it all day. I'm not in it right now because nobody else is in my office. But if wearing a mask allows you to go to a restaurant, if wearing a mask allows you to go to church, if wearing a mask allows you to have some normalcy, a piece of paper, a piece of cloth over your face to protect you is worth it if it allows us to have those other activities, those other events. And I just need folks to continue to remember that a majority of folks, not all, some patients that I see with COVID have no idea where they get it and they say they were in their mask all the time. But I'm still seeing folks that went to somebody's house to watch the Ohio State game and there was 15 people there and nobody was wearing masks and they were just eating all day and, and just enjoying the game. Again, enjoying life, I get it. But we still can't quite get back to that normalcy. You know, you need to do things in small groups. You've got to socially distance. I watched the end of the Notre Dame Clemson game the other night and I about had a seizure when all of the Notre Dame fans stormed the field. Totally get it, they're college students, big game. They wanted to celebrate. But the ID doctor had in me just thought, oh, in two weeks, the outbreak that could come because of that, how that could impact the teams. You know, again, I understand normalcy. We want to do what we can within reason, but we can't quite get back there yet um, in terms of the big crowds. And I'm seeing more and more with the election stuff and whatnot. Crowds are coming back you know, protests, non-protests, political rallies and whatnot. And when you get big crowds, masks help, but that six feet apart is also still very important. We saw a pretty significant spike in October with reported cases and hospitalizations in the U.S. Does that still seem to be the case in the Miami Valley as we move further into November? Yeah, so COVID cases, you know, there's been a lot of things that I've said about COVID since uh, March that I've turned out to not be correct on. One of my things that I have said is that we weren't going to have any more spikes, that we were going to have what we called moguls, these little humps where, you know, we would see a slight increase in cases, but nothing major. Well, the trajectory of cases right now is, is well beyond what we saw in July, well beyond what we saw in March. And this is the busiest COVID period that we have had bar none. So the numbers are absolutely going up. Um, in general, it is in part, again, because people have gone on with their life and they are doing things where they are exposing themselves without having masks on and without social distancing. Again, that doesn't help everybody. Some people have no idea how they got COVID, um, but a lot of folks say, yeah, I went to this party and I got COVID. So the numbers are high. Again, you know, there was a, a, um, an interview with the mayor the other day. We did a press conference and, you know, there is no plans from a government standpoint to do any more shutdowns or whatnot, as long as healthcare can handle the volumes. And I'll just say the hospitals are busy. 
you know, we are as busy as we have ever been. And, um, you know, we still got capacity. We're still taking care of folks, um, but it's all being driven by COVID. So please, I just need everybody to do what they can, socially distance, be smart. Um, but I think right now we need to be very diligent. And Dr. Burdett, what's one last thing that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, so the big thing is there's still a lot of questions about testing. And please remember that a majority of hospitals, a majority of tests that are done in the United States are what's called PCR, polymerase chain reaction. Okay, that is a test that does not differentiate live from dead virus. So if I had COVID today, my test would be positive. My test could still be positive literally in February 21 because I could be shedding dead virus. Okay, the current CDC recommendations are that if you have a positive test, you should not be retested for three months. Okay, and again, that's because that dead virus can be shed that entire amount of time. We have found some patients with COVID will actually have trillions with a T, trillions of copies of virus in their nares, in their throat, and it takes a long time for your body to get rid of that virus. So if somebody is diagnosed today and they're going to have a surgical procedure or whatnot, and they are going to get retested and they're positive, more likely than not, they are not a new, it's not another case of COVID that they had. Usually that's just the fact that they are shedding dead virus. We are still very, very, very rare for somebody to get COVID more than once. It can happen, but that is far and away the exception. And it's, again, patients that have poor immune systems, I've seen some case reports of leukemia patients who have no immune system at all. They get a new exposure and they get sick from COVID a second time. But almost everybody listening to this podcast at this time is not going to get it a second time in this window. I can't say what's going to happen in 21. I can't say what's going to happen to the virus going forward. But I do just caution people and I get people panicked all the time that I had COVID in October and now I'm positive again. Well, yeah, it's still that same virus that's just being shed. We just right now don't have the ability with our testing to say it's live virus or dead virus. So again, I just encourage folks, you know, talk to your doctor, but if they want to retest in general, we don't want to retest within three months. Thank you so much, Dr. Burdett. From all of us at Premier Health, we wish you and yours a safe, healthy, and happy Thanksgiving. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com COVID-19. This has been Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.